Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. I'm going to continue on from that tonight and talk about um, how we handle money. So I've called this one God, Money and You. Proverbs 13 verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And right there you might be thinking, oh, what have I got? Um, but this is, uh, this is a process. It's not a five-minute thing. So let's just build into our lives some things which will leave an inheritance, a legacy. So as I said, Jeremy taught us last time that we can grow in God's favor and wisdom if we're content and accepting the hand we're dealt. Um, and that said, we shouldn't just accept things that destroy people's lives. Amen. Jeremy made the point that, um, you know, we shouldn't just be so content that we are happy for, for half the world to live in poverty. We can do something about that. If it's in our power to do something about it, then let's do it. But some things take money, don't they? And that, so money has an authority, money has an ability to help and to change things and to change the world. And, um, and we don't want to be just laid back and, you know, sort of okay with everything in life to the point where we're just about falling over. That's not being content. That's a cop-out, right? So tonight we're going to have a look at, at what we can do with what we've got in our hand. The Bible says sometimes, you know, use what's in your hand. Start there. So we're going to start with what we've got. So tonight's helpful stuff for living the Christian life is about how we handle money. When it comes to handling money, there's a fair amount of attachment. You know, people's already the heckles can go up. Maybe the uh, attitude can go up. Many opinions and interpretations of God's word um, come to the fore. Um, so, so here's just a few of the value systems that Christians can have when it comes to money. And in fact, even non-believers can have these same things, these same views about money. Okay, here's a few, few value systems when it comes to money. The first is money should be just easy come, easy go. Hold everything lightly and give it all away. And this sounds noble, to have no ties, no liabilities, but this generally means eventually having nothing to give away anymore, or to show for a lifetime's work. And this group usually end up needing others to support them in their old age or in hard times. And in fact, some cultures plan for the young to look after the old. These people wear poverty as a kind of a badge of honour. They believe they are being just like Jesus, who died owning just a seamless coat, but Jesus left the greatest legacy of all time by demonstrating how to give, how to sow, how to honour, and how to wear quality. You see, Jesus' coat was simple, but it was top quality. Okay? Just I thought I'd throw that in aside. <clears throat> Number two, then there's the, the group who have acquired wealth honestly, by hard work and sacrifice, but their attitude is to live it up and die penniless. There's even an acronym among baby boomers called SKIN. 
S-K-I-N. Spin kids inheritance now. <laughs> Skin. The idea behind this is why should you miss out on having all the treats you've worked hard for, like traveling the world and flash cars and V8 uh, Chevys in the garage, only to have the family fight over all your stuff when you're dead. That's their theory. Spend it now, die penniless. Number three, then there's the group uh, that are the white knuckle brigade who hold on so tightly to everything that ne they never give anything away nor enjoy anything. They've got short arms and deep pockets. <laughs> there's a feeling that life's tough, People are out to rip you off, and you just don't know what's around the corner. You can't trust anyone, and you need a nest egg tucked away for a rainy day. And Proverbs 11.24, speaking about this group, it says it is possible to give away and become richer. That's not the bit. It's the next bit. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. So that's Proverbs 11, verse 24. You can hang on so tightly you lose everything, but it's also possible to give away and get more. So that's group number three. So first group was just don't have anything. Second group was use it to have fun until you die. The third group is like, no, you've got to save for any day and not give anything away. And then the fourth group, then there's those whose whole aim is to make money in order to bless others. And this seems really noble. And it is, as long as their own family don't feel neglected. Because often great givers are a bit tight at home. Yeah. And if the family are feeling neglected or like there's never any room for any financial fun or freedom at home, then maybe they've got a few issues as well. The emotional burden of making money to then give it away can also be a time trap for those who have the tiger by the tail, you know, so many irons in the fire. To combat this, there's a saying out there, you need to work on your business, not in it. And uh, that's a challenge for us. Finally, there's a group, another group, Finally, there's this small group, I think, who, who, who seem to manage work and, and work reasonably reasonable hours to achieve good results for the family to live comfortably, but not extravagantly. They give generously, they tithe to the church they attend, they save for retirement and leave an inheritance for their children's children. So maybe there's a group that you've feel like maybe you're, you know, you're a number one or a number four or maybe you're a number three. Um, but, you know, Christians tend to fall into one of those, and there could be other categories as well. Because just like marriage and raising children, there are principles from God's Word that work in this life. And if we do it wrong, we pay the price. There's plenty of Christians who've got bad marriages and plenty of non-Christians who've got great marriages because they're doing it right. There's plenty of Christians who've got no money because they've been silly. And there's plenty of non-Christians who've got lots of money because they've done it right. And there's plenty of naughty ratbag kids out there 
who belong to Christians, and there's plenty of great kids who belong to non-Christians. So there's, there's principles in God for marriage, raising kids, and managing money that if you do it the way God says, it works. If you don't do it the way God says, you pay the price. So there are principles that work in this life that are God-inspired, but being Christian is no guarantee that you'll get it right. In fact, many Christians get things horribly wrong because of the wrong view of finance. Or perhaps it's been tough times. We don't know what's around the corner. That's true. And we can go from being a producer to a consumer just like that. We sometimes make bad choices and get it wrong. Or maybe we've followed a wrong role model and we've been tempted in one of these get-rich-quick schemes that have all gone wrong. We're not exempt from the trials of life or bad choices as Christians simply because we have Christ in us. So tonight, we're only going to be able to deal with the hard attitude. So I want to start with the heart. You've heard me say this before. It's just about always about the heart, eh? God's interested in our heart because there's so much more that could be said about money, but really money and our hearts are linked spiritually. And it all starts with God's nature. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, we all know, John 3.16, for God loved... In brackets, that's a hard issue. God's love is a hard issue. God loved the world so much that he what? Gave. So he had a heart for the world and he gave. God is a giver. You see, at heart, God is a giver. And so we see that from John 3.16. The very heart of God is to give and his nature is to give. Oops. Yeah, so let's turn to Genesis 4, verses 3 to 5, if you've got your Bibles. We're going to read a little bit where it all started in Genesis chapter 4. First, man and woman, Adam and Eve, had a couple of sons. <clears throat> Three, was it? I can't remember. But anyway, we're talking about the two in chapter 4. Let's read verses 3 to 5, and we're going to talk about this heart issue. Genesis 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain, the older one, um, brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, his brother, on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. What's our countenance? Anyone know what a countenance is? <laughs> Sounds a bit like money, doesn't it? Counting, but no, it's, it's just our, like our face, our, our presence just dropped. And the old, poor old Cain was just so rejected that his offering had been rejected. This seems a bit tough, doesn't it? At first glance, this just seems a bit tough. Yeah. What was wrong with his fruit and veg? Well, the answer was nothing. 
There was nothing wrong with Cain's fruit and veggies. Did God like meat better than he liked veggies? No. It was not the gift that was the problem. It was the giver's heart that sucked. So he brought, Cain brought an offering, but Abel brought the first portion. There's the difference right there. Cain just brought any old offering. Oh, yeah. Oh, God needs a bit of an offering, does he? Rounded up a few veggies and a bit of, bit of fruit. But Abel brought the very best. He brought the firstlings, it says in my version. Other versions probably say the first of the animals or something or the best. But he brought the first offering and he brought it to God with a different heart. There's the difference. Uh, if our attitude is that'll do, God is not blessed. But if we bring the first portion, the best portion, and the bit that cost us the most, he sees the heart of the giver, and he blesses the rest. Now here, right here in Genesis, right at the beginning, we get a principle in God that runs right through Scripture called the first fruits. Okay? Um, and this principle of first fruits, this is how it works. You give the very first the very best to God, and he blesses the rest. He sanctifies the 90%. If we bring the 10%, he sanctifies the rest and says, go for it. You'll be better off with that 90% than you would have been with the 100 because you gave the 10% to me. That's the principle of first fruits. And we know that Jesus was God's very best fruit. He gave his what? Only begotten son. Begotten means he came directly from the line, from, from, from the father. You know, he was, he was not adopted. And so Jesus is like the very, very best God could give for us. He models what he's talking about here. Jesus was the first fruit and we are following on after him. He doesn't need our money. That's a big statement, isn't it? God doesn't need our money. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills, owns the universe, has everything at his disposable. Why does God bother with talking about money? Because he wants our heart. And God knows about the attachment between the heart and the wallet. It's a test. You see, our, our, our finance, our work, what we do for a living and how we earn money, it's got an attachment to our heart because we've invested so much into getting that money. So the tithe that the Bible talks about, which actually means tenth, tithe means tenth, so 10% of what God said for the people of Israel to bring to him, and he sets it all out through the law of Moses, what they were to bring, a tenth of this, the best of this, the da-da-da. He set out these rules, but it actually was already in the heart of people because it predates the law. It actually began with Abraham bringing an offering to God. Abraham lived by faith 
400 years before the law. And so out of Abraham's heart relationship with God, he brought an offering to God and laid it before God. So four or 500 years later, God sets out to sort of explain it better. Yeah, through the law of Moses. Okay, um, Christians sometimes argue that the tithe or the tenth of our income was an Old Testament thing, that it was sort of couched in the law and that therefore maybe it doesn't need to um, apply to us. You know, they say that Jesus has changed all of that. Yes, he did. He lived in such a way and taught in such a way that he says, now everything's mine. <laughs> He's changed it from 10 to 100%. <laughs> he says, you know, you follow me, you give up your old life. You know, come to me and die. He says, come, come and die. Hey, it's a great recruitment program. <laughs> You're agreeing there, Jeremy. <laughs> he says, everything's mine now. If you want to follow me, you, you, you take your hands off. It's no longer yours. You don't own nothing. And so Christians can argue over this whole tithing thing. And Jesus has changed it. Yes, he says, now everything's mine. But you can keep 90%. That's good of him, isn't it? He says, you can have a nice car. But if I need it to pick up that person that's down that dark alleyway on a youth group night, yeah, you can go down and pick that person up because it's not your car anyway. It's my car. <laughs> and you can have that house with a big bench for cooking lots of food for lots of people. As long as you're willing to do it every Sunday, that's fine. You can have it from Monday to Saturday. <laughs> so he says, it's all mine, but you can keep it, most of it. And, uh, you know, by giving him the 10, what do we say? It cleanses the 90% left. Okay, so we, we have this thing called redemption and first fruits still happening today, even in the new covenant, now that we live for Jesus. You know, we're missing the point if we can't manage to give a tithe to God. We're missing the point. We're missing the point of, of the heart wallet test. See, the media love to get in on this 10% thing and say it's, it's, it's horrible asking people to give 10% these days. Um, but see, when God blesses the other, it's not that hard. You know, if we don't give that 10%, it'll probably go in some other way. Speeding fines, you know, um, some addiction, you know. So anyway, we're missing the point if we miss this whole principle of giving God the first, the first fruit, the best. If we don't come to worship having it cost nothing, then he doesn't want our worship. Let's turn to Malachi 3.3. Most preachers that teach on tithing turn to Malachi 3. And we're not going to get too deeply into it, but um, it's the last book of the Old Testament. If you're looking for it, Malachi. Malachi. Chapter, chapter 3 and verse 3 first. And this has got a little bit of history to it. This is um, Malachi, the prophet, telling the people of Israel off a bit because in chapter 1, they've been bringing all these sick animals to God, you know, the runty one. 
the, the sort of paralyzed one that's got a sort of gammy leg. And they think, well, we might as well kill that gammy one. We can't eat that anyway. And they've been giving crook animals to God and calling it worship instead of bringing healthy, good, the first, the best. They missed this whole first fruit thing. Didn't get it. And Malachi has to tell them off a bit. And then in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. It speaks of, of like refining process. That's what we do to gold and silver, put them in the fire, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. That means in a right relationship. So you don't bring anything out of duty. You don't bring anything that's crook. You don't bring the gammy leg one. You bring to the Lord an offering in righteousness, in a right way, in a right standing. And then uh, we look at verses over the page 5 to 8. Let's read them. Um, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's all tied up with justice, how we live. It's not just the offering, it's how we live. And then he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. He's solid. He doesn't change. He never changes his character or his, um, his being because he's perfect. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. So this is the answer. This is what you've got to do. Return to me and I will return to you, he says, says the Lord of hosts, but you shall say, how shall we return? And here's the clincher, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, the Lord says. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me in this. See, this is one of the things, the disciplines of God, where the Lord says for us to test him. Most things, he's testing us. But this is one thing he says, we can test God in us. If we do this, you know, he will do it. He will do what he says. Test him. He's asking us. Bring it on. Bring it on, he's saying. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Amazing, eh? And I'm not even going to try tonight and explain the storehouse thing. So I'll probably get in trouble from Jeremy later. But <laughs> because Christians' views do vary, what the storehouse. But the point being, God says, bring in the tithe into my storehouse and test me in this if I don't pour out blessings on you. So there's even 
a little test thing going on here, we can even say to God, hey, but you said. So the point is this. If you're taking notes, this is number one. A grateful, cheerful giver who wants to please God will want, hear that word? They will want to bless the church as part of their worship. Whether they are blessed in return or not. You see, it's not like, oh, all right, I'll give my first tenth as long as I get something out of it. <laughs> That's not the cheerful, grateful giver God wants. So whether we're blessed or not, it might cost us heaps and then we get nothing, nothing back. And that's because it's a gift. A gift is a gift. This is the principle of first fruits. And we know Jesus was, in, in Colossians we read that he's the firstborn. We've explained that. It means he's the first preeminent one in all of history. He is the first in, 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 in authority and in preeminence and position. Um, he's never been created, but he is the firstborn, as it says in, the, in there. So... Um, so we've got to be grateful and a cheerful giver if we want to bless God, even if we don't get anything at that stage. Okay, so that's number one. From number, from number two, from Scripture, we see that God puts into men and women's hearts a God-given desire to invest. Did you get that word? First we give. Next, we want to invest. We want to invest in what God's doing. So I've been to plenty of things like conferences and says, if you believe in what we're doing here, you invest. This is seed money. Now, this is another principle that runs incredibly right through Scripture, and it's called sowing and reaping. And if we invest in the kingdom of God, we will reap a reward. Okay, so this is the second thing we see from Scripture that there's actually not just giving, which is important as a, just in itself, but that's the first fruit thing. We give him the best. We don't give a crook one or sick one. We give him the best. That's the first fruit. Number two is that we invest. We put seed into things. We say, I really believe in this cap ministry. I want to invest in Christians Against Poverty. I can see it working out in people's lives. I want to invest. And in that, we are saying, pick me. I want to be one of the people who get the reward one day. Maybe not in this life, but maybe the next. And I could go on about that and tell stories of David and you know him um, saying that everyone gets the same reward who's been part of the, the um, outreach. you know. But anyway... Um, he who sows sparingly, the Bible says, will also reap sparingly. But if we sow generously, we will reap generously. So this is like God's venture capital. This is like stuff we see really important happening. Some people call it love for the house. Some people call it extra mile giving. Some people say it's second mile giving. Just next month, we're going to do a little push for the BMF, the Baptist Missionary um, fellowship, and we are saying, look, we want to really um, back you guys for what you're doing in the world. 
And we're going to sacrificially give extra next month in July to the Baptist Church for missionary efforts. Because we believe in this. It's part of God's kingdom. They're seeing people's lives turned upside down. The gospel going into the corners of the earth where people have never gone before. Like Sarah has gone, gone into, seen it firsthand, transcend the um, project in the Calcutta. It's turning lives around. And we invest in that. It's a scriptural principle. And here we can expect a return of growth in what we've sown into it. Whether it's money, some people can't give money in, in, this, in this venture, but they can give time. And they say, yeah, I can't, I can't give anymore, but I can put time into this. I can come and be a visitor. I can come and help. I've got a car. I've got this. I've got that. Or effort. Maybe you can put a, some sort of um, weekly effort into doing that. Admin, being the backup person, praying for them. See, many Christians who are challenged to give generously into tithes and offering, which is seed money, by faith, sown into God's kingdom, need to go one step further. And we're going to talk about that now. They need to put another portion of what's left aside for the future, called savings. Now, this is kind of where it gets, gets a bit close to home, doesn't it? In his wisdom, God knows the importance of legacy and inheritance. Another principle running right through Scripture is legacy and inheritance. If we can live on less today and do without any luxury items when we're young, we can have the joy of legacy and an inheritance to pass on later. See, that was where we started, wasn't it? That was the verse we started with. So once we establish this principle of maybe 10%, giving 10% seed you know, investment money and then maybe another 10% to save, you're going, whoa, that only leaves 70% of what my, what my income I've got to live on. I could never do that. But once we establish that it's not just about giving and it's not just about investing in the kingdom, we need to save for our, for our children's children. It's an inheritance thing. We need to save whatever we can. We will be amazed at the exponential. That just means it's like a curve that goes like that. The exponential growth of personal finance. You're going to say, wait a minute, do you expect me to live on 70% of my current income? The first portion is always the hardest portion to give. But you won't know how good tithing is until you tithe. Did you catch that? You won't know how good tithing is until you tithe. Because then you get to see what God can do. He's a miracle-working God. And there are things that rob you of your income now that will just drop off when you tithe. You may not achieve the 70% mark straight away. That's a goal. It's a goal. But if your heart is to aim for it, God will bless the bit you used to control absolutely. In other words, we thought it was all ours, and now we find out tonight, because you came along tonight, church, that it's actually all God's. 
<laughs> and there are so many things we just don't need. I've witnessed people on low incomes that save heaps and people on very high incomes that save absolutely nothing. When I was in my 20s, I went to the Tikofido sale yards every second week. It was sort of what I did to buy cattle. And I bumped into this old guy who was, it was, he wasn't probably as old as I thought he was at that time, but he had no socks. He had no laces in his boots. His style was to walk around everywhere in these old rickety clothes and he looked totally disheveled. And he had no teeth and an old hat. I think you're getting the picture here. And anyway, he said to me one day, it's easy enough to make money, Murray. It's hanging on to it that's the problem. <laughs> he had about 20 farms. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably lived on about 5,000 a year. <laughs> His poor wife probably struggled along with, uh, with no, you know, hot water or whatever. But he, he had learnt to save young and he had no socks. But that man has left an inheritance. He was the one who gave the land and spent a lot of money for Aparangi Home and has put in hundreds of homes or made, made it possible for hundreds of homes at Te Kofura. My friend Dave knows him well. Anyway, that's my farmer story. It's easy to make money, but it's much harder to hang on to it. That's the secret, hanging on to it, he said. God is looking for people he can trust with much by watching them be fruitful with a little. You know, you might say it's easy for you to speak, um, you know, you've got um, money. But, you know, we, we went with little old second-hand furniture and old carpet for 13 years. And we were the first or last, I should say, that we were the last down our road to get a microwave, last on our road to get a color TV. We had 25% interest in the 80s. We didn't think we were going to make it. And Jenny and I saved and saved, and then we kind of saw the breakthrough come. But I believe that we actually learned some principles back then that are still with us now. So God is watching, you know, what can he trust people with? Can he trust you to give away more if you got more? If you got more, what would you do with it? I used to say to the youth group, what would you do if you won a million dollars? So we'd have this little thing going on at youth group. What would you do if you won a million dollars? And it was kind of like this, oh, you know, dreaming session. But it sort of revealed, it revealed what was in the heart. The power of compounding interest is almost the best kept secret in our modern instant world. Did you catch that? The power of compounding interest is almost the best-kept secret in our modern, instant world. God's ways work, and he wants to challenge us all to give him first fruits. Even non-believers have been made wealthy by testing the Lord in this. They don't go to church, they don't believe in God, but they tithe. And the, and the Lord blesses what they've got left. 
making a difference and leaving a legacy are now catching on in non-Christian circles. So surely with faith in God's word, we can lead the way. I just want to finish this message off by reading a little bit out of this book written about God, money, and me. And uh, it's about, about the, the power of seed money. Mark 12, 41 to 44. And many who were rich put in much. You know the story. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which made a quadrants. I don't know what that is, but anyway. He called, he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had. This is called the story of the widow's might. And I love it. In my version, it says she put in all she owned and all she had to live on. That's capital and income. She put in the lot. And she didn't even know Jesus was watching. What she gave, the scholars tell us, was two very small copper coins worth a fraction of a dollar. I took some time to look at what those mites would represent by way of an illustration and asked the question, what would her two mites have become if someone had uh, invested them back in biblical times? Believe it or not, by the wonder of compounding interest, modern-day economists have estimated that if those two small coins at about 80 cents value in today's value had been deposited at the bank in the first century bearing 4% compounding interest annually for 1987 years, they would now be worth an unbelievable total of five and about 15 zeros. It's apparently approximately 5.6 decimillion, whatever that is. It's just more than the world debt today. And no, this is not a typo. 80 cents invested over many generations has world-changing ability. According to the Economist Intelligence Unit, at the time of writing God, Money and Me, the current world public debt is approximately $58 trillion. Also, the October 2016 International Monetary Fund Fiscal Monitor Report declared that the total global debt of the non-financial sector was $152 trillion comprising the general government, households, and non-financial firms. For the sake of this exercise, let's take the total world debt of $152 trillion and what that might would have been worth if invested. It's about 10 times that. This widow's might that Jesus spied without her knowing, she gave an a possible long-term investment to God of about $56 trillion. Maybe you've got no money, but you can give time to seed new things for God, and that's okay. But with faith, surely we can lead the way amongst our friends and in the community. 
What's your capital and your income doing tonight? I'm just going to leave it there. What's your capital and income doing tonight? God, we just thank you for your word that it contains all this wealth of wisdom and knowledge that the world could learn so much from. And Father, I thank you that we can run our businesses from the very chapter, the book of Proverbs. It's just like a business manual. Lord, it's just there for us to glean and live by and, and get into our hearts. And Lord, you know that we're pretty attached to our money. We're pretty attached to our stuff. Lord, you just want us to give it up, say, well, it's yours anyway. It's a test. You want us to just have this attachment between heart and wallet broken tonight. So we just say, God, it's yours. Thank you for letting us have some of it back. God, we just pray that there'd be a breakthrough in this room tonight for finance, for the kingdom, finance for, for, the, for the next generation, finance for the things which are needed. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight, I just pray that they'd call out your name and ask you to help and to take hold of their finance, to, to take hold of their lives and just say, God, it's yours. I'm yours. Let's start again. Let's start over. It's never too late. We've just sung tonight that you've redeemed us. You've redeemed stuff. That means you've bought it back. You've bought our lives with your blood, and you've bought the right to own everything. You are God. You are awesome. You are amazing, God. So we give this whole subject to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.